Welcome to IT Availability Now, the show that tells the stories of business resilience from the people who keep the digital world available. I am your host, Sir Vosper Beast, and today I'm joined by John Beatty, Principal Consultant at SunGuard AS, and we're going to be discussing third-party risk. John, thanks for joining us on the show today. Sir Vos, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, yes. And I've, I've been excited because I haven't had the opportunity to have you on the show with me as host yet, right? But you have been here before. And this is a topic that I know comes up pretty frequently, um, especially because the increased awareness around the risks that are inherent from leveraging third parties, right? And a lot of organizations are trying to mitigate against so many things. And inevitably, you're not going to be able to keep everything in-house when you run a business. You're going to be reliant on someone to provide you something. So, you know, as Gartner mentions things like a uh, vendor risk management program or process that uh, service providers and, and IT suppliers go through that'll help identify these things, I know there's still a ton of questions and uncertainty that come up around the topic. So, John, as somebody who spends a lot of time talking with customers about third-party risk, um, what do they typically broach when they bring up the topic? What, what are the typical concerns that come up? Well, so there's, there's, you know, multiple dimensions to this whole third party risk management thing. Um, and I've been involved in these kinds of uh, initiatives for, oh gosh, 10, 10, 10 or more years now. Um, and, and uh, you know, a lot has been changing and evolving in, in that world. So let me start with what I call the, you know, the basics. And that's really about understanding, you know, the preventive and reactive controls, um, you know, within your, the world of your third parties. Um, and it's, that's, it is, of course, very interesting and very valuable. And a lot of organizations tend to focus just on, you know, trying to get some sense of that. But that's far, really isn't sufficient um, just to, you know, uh, check the box, so to speak, um, and, you know, and ask a variety you know, of, of control questions. Um, and, um, you know, you truly have to understand, I'm using the word understanding very specifically here, you really have to understand, are they truly ready to react, recover, and resume operations, and at what pace and at what speed? Um, and at the end of the day, um, it really is about you truly having a reasonable understanding about what you should expect from your third parties uh, th uh, through their thick and their thin, you know, so to speak. So, um, you know, it, it really is about um, understanding that preventive side. Uh, you know, what do they have in place to keep things from happening and what do they have in place to be more reactive um, and, you know, at, 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 at time of something happening? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Those are good points. I mean, one of the things I like to bring up when I speak to anybody, when you're going to leverage a third party is things are going to inevitably happen. The really good measure of whether you've chosen the right person or not isn't just the frequency of things happening, but how quickly they react once something happens. And as you mentioned, a lot of people focus on preventing things from happening, right? But we obviously know they're going to happen at some point or another. What risk does a business really open themselves up to when they focus too much on prevention and they don't really think about what they're going to do once something takes place? Well, first of all, prevention is good. I mean, you, need, you do need to understand, yeah, you understand that. Um, and, um, you know, uh, Organizations doing their best to prevent something impactful from happening really is is essential and part of that understanding that you need to have. Um, you know, 
probably an example is, you know, we keep we keep data centers away from combustible materials um, in order to reduce the risk of a fire. But we also install fire extinguishing extinguishment systems and position fire extinguishers, uh, you know, in you know in those work areas. Um, and those are the reactive controls. So again, you need to understand, you know, have they truly done what they can do to prevent something, and have they done something um, on the uh, on the on the, rea on the reactive side? So um, let me address your question, I guess, through the lens of cyber attacks and cyber intrusions, um, which are top of mind, you know, in most organizations today. You know, organizations spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of people power, a lot of money. Uh, trying to prevent a you know cyber attacks from happening, but we know they do. It's going to happen. Um, so you need to understand you know uh, you know a you know what what those organizations are doing on that prevent side. But you know there'll be questions you'll be asking about firewalls and intrusion protection and multi-factor authentication and and you know probably hundreds of other questions you're you're going to be asking. Uh, but the, again, the reality is that you know uh, cyber attacks are going to happen. So you need to understand how well positioned they are on that you know reactive side, uh, because it's just going to happen. Cyber criminals are always finding new ways to you know bypass what's in place for protection. So we need to understand what our third parties are doing to minimize their risk of a failed response and recovery effort, and that's a major differentiator. Um, of, of third-party risk programs over the past several years is getting more to that reactive side. Mm -hmm. And I, I like how you parlayed into that example, right? Because you, you really can't throw a stone on the internet and not hear about ransomware these days and, and, and cyber incidents connected to that kind of illicit activity. And, and given it's such a hot-button issue, um, you know, it needs to be addressed. So... Just to provide an example, how does a third party evaluate risk as it pertains to ransomware uh, when they're working with a client that wants to consume their services? Well, that's a great that's a great question, and that's certainly an area that you know has been getting a lot you know is getting a lot of attention um, with regard to you know third party risk, whether it's a third party that is providing you a SaaS service, and 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 of course if they're providing a SaaS service, they have your data. Uh, whether it's a an organization that you're relying on to be a processor, of, you know, of sorts, where they're actually doing actual people doing work on your behalf, and again, they have you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, have have your data. Um, so it's very important that you know we understand the you know the the ransomware readiness, if you will, of our third parties. Um, and there's so many controls, capabilities, plans, disciplines that all have to you know work together in a programmatic style um, so that um, an organization, your organization or your third party's organizations are really ready to, you know, respond, recover and resume, you know, after the attack. So let me share a couple of high level, you know, thoughts on, uh, you know, on this particular topic and, and, and some questions that you might want to make sure you know the answers to when you're uh, probing your, your, your third parties. Um, you know, first of all, you need to understand if your vendor's disaster recovery program recognizes that data recovery is a special recovery case. It's the second DR, if you will. Disaster recovery on the traditional side, data recovery on the, I don't call it the modern side. Do they know what makes data recovery different than traditional disaster recovery? 
Um, and, you know, my thought here is that, you know, without the recognition um, of those differences, you know, good luck getting them to, you know, get through a, an attack successfully uh, and therefore forget about any contractual SLAs that'll be out the window. Um, so, you know, do they have, you know, other questions relate to, um, you know, do their backups have the characteristics that are necessary um, in order, you know, for, for what Gartner and others call, you know, uh, modern backup capabilities. Uh, and that's with immutability, extended retention cycles, anomaly detection, and, and many more characteristics. But if that's not in place, uh, you know, they have not done a good job of reducing their risk of a failed data recovery uh, effort. Um, you know, do they have plans? Do they have that conducting exercises? Do they have the right SMEs on retainer uh, that, you know, that can, that can jump in? And Sirvaz, here's one of my favorites. Um, do they have a recovery playbook for decrypting data, okay, after a decryptor has been acquired or purchased, if you will, from the threat actor? So they paid the ransom, they've gotten the decryption key uh, because that's the only way they have of getting their data back. And that happens all too often with more than 50% of organizations paying the ransom uh, where they're legally allowed to. Um, and so do they even know the first thing about how they're actually going to um, you know, follow, you know, decrypt it? Where are they gonna do it? How are they gonna do it? Who's gonna be involved? Um, is your DFIR firm gonna be involved? So there's that, you know, that's one of my favorite things that I like to look for because if an organization has thought that far through it, they're probably in pretty, you know, they probably thought through a lot of other things too. Mm -hmm. No, and, and I, I like that, right? Because it's, it's the age old saying the devil's in the details. And you did a fantastic job of really diving deep there. But if we could take a step back and maybe refine it into one or two good risks areas that you see post ransomware recovery, because I, I love the example that we've used. Every business is dealing with it today. I think that would really help our listeners relate to, you know, how they could take those two things and use them as mechanisms to evaluate the third parties they leverage today. What would they be? Okay, top two. Okay, well, um, a couple key a couple key areas come to mind, and I may I may stretch this to three. Um, so, um, you know, one one risk area, and I'm using an an interesting you know approach here is. Traditional disaster recovery has been around for years, and we've used the term RPO, recovery point objective. And very few organizations have actually documented in their BC plans or wherever else, how the business is going to fill the gap. And what I mean by that, if, if, if a system's got an RPO of 24 hours, well, when IT does its recovery, they're gonna recover that data most likely to that 24 hour mark, um, and, you know, uh, but then now how does the business fill that gap? Well, what's more interesting is in the world of cyber attacks, ransomware attacks, there's a pretty strong likelihood that you may not recover that, uh, RPO equal to 24 hours. You might be losing a day's worth of data. You might be losing a week's worth of data. We've seen data loss for, you know, for multiple weeks. So how does the business fill that gap? So a big risk area uh, to me in many organizations is that the business is unaware of what they might be called upon to do uh, to actually, re you know, 
cover their fair share of the of of uh, you know recover their fair share of data, um, you know after IT has done the best that it can with what it has. Many times they might meet the RPO value, but many in many situations, a lot of situations, they simply don't. So is the business ready for that? So let me kind of check that off as you know as as uh, you know one of those key risk areas. Um, and and actually, just let me finish that by saying that you know what we like to see in organizations is they have multiple data recovery strategies that, based on the circumstances you know that have occurred, that they are in a position to make the best decision on which recovery paths or paths that they want to um, you know want to pursue again based on the particulars of the uh, of the compromise. Um, you know, secondly, and maybe from a slightly different perspective, is you know, um, the, you know, there's a lot of operational risk emanating, you know, from what I call lack of recognition. Um, so it's a risk to an organization to have their C-suite on down, truly not understand what's likely to befall the organization. So you really want to make sure, because if, if when the C-suite is not aware of what can happen, they haven't been involved in exercises, uh, they're not fully briefed on what might, you know, the challenges they, the organization and they may face, then you can expect that organization to not being able, be able to recover, you know, quickly. Um, and, you know, the last point I want to bring up is that data protection is very, very important. You need to make sure that, you know, we mentioned earlier that whole modern data protection capability with all the, you know, new parameters that are uh, essential uh, to ready an organization for compromised data recovery, you know, if, if they don't have a modern backup solution in place, then they are at deep risk. So, you know, if you've got the business recognition, the C-suite recognition, and the data, re and the data backup capabilities, uh, you know, to me are three hot topics that if you don't have that, um, you're not going to be in good shape. Well, and, and I agree with you, you know, for the most part, there's, there's one place I do have a slightly different position. And I think you touched on it a little bit, right? Um, the technology is important. Technology is going to enable us to achieve a certain outcome. But when we talk about where things break down, you mentioned the executive team understanding the risk. Do you think communicating it in a language, in a form that is easy for them to digest, because in most cases they're not subject matter expert, is important or pivotal? Because it, it seems like if you don't do that, they then don't understand the risk, then it's not a problem. Right. So what can you recommend to try to help with that process? I, I think there's an issue on both sides of this equation. So we've got, you know, many executives do understand the threat. Um, and, you know, if, if there's any one thing that we've seen in many organizations is that, you know, there is funding that becomes available, you know, out of budget because executives are concerned about cyber attacks. When executives are concerned about something, then somehow money just seems to show up. Um, so, but where we see a, a, a big issue is that organ, you know, the folks in IT, the folks in information security haven't thought through it enough to know what they even need to be, you know, where they have risk, where they have gaps, you know, where they're not covered. So they really haven't thought through all of the nuances, all of the strategies. And I'll go back to my example earlier. Um, do they have a plan to actually decrypt data? Should that be the path that that executives decide to take, um, you know, based on the circumstances. So there's a, 
a bigger lack of understanding even within IT organizations and InfoSec organizations uh, about what are all of the elements that are uh, you know, essential to have in place. And therefore there is a misunderstanding in the third party risk assessment programs because organizations are not asking their vendors um, you know, through um, you know, all the details because they don't understand them themselves. Um, so that that's you know that that's kind of how I'm thinking about uh, your 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 question here. No, no, and it, it's a great point, and it it really goes back to the beginning of the conversation, right? Um, where you emphasized going back to basics, because if you don't understand what you're trying to accomplish and the risk that you're trying to mitigate against, you, you can't evaluate it, and if you can't balance between prevention and reaction you're going to inherently create gaps in your strategy that expose your organization to further risk. And frankly, having the ability to have the example of ransomware, which is a prevalent risk that organizations are trying to mitigate on a daily basis um, for our listeners to use as a benchmark and to how they can evaluate the third parties for not just that, but other risks, I think is going to, help people come up with strategies around how they want to maintain and mitigate third-party risk with, with the vendors they use today. So John, I, I really t- appreciate you taking the time to run through all that material with us. I mean, I always love listening to you and it was a pleasure having you on the show. So well, it's a pleasure was all mine as well. And uh, thank you for the opportunity. Fantastic. John Beatty is Principal Consultant at SunGuard Availability Services. You can find the show notes for this episode at sunguardas.com backslash IT availability now. Please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're available. IT Availability Now is a production of SunGuard Availability Services. I'm your host, Sir Vas Verbeest, and until next time, stay available.